From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where we hear from politicians and experts on the issues of the day. The Gama Festival is being held over the next few days in Arnhem Land. It's a celebration of Indigenous culture and a time for people from a multitude of communities to come together. There will be a great deal of talk this year about the voice among all those present. Anthony Albanese will be there speaking on Saturday, although we know that he won't be announcing the date for the referendum. That announcement, he says, will be in coming weeks. Peter Dutton, who is strongly opposing The Voice, is not attending Gama. Meanwhile, in Parliament this week, the opposition has sought to turn the discussion of The Voice to the issue of treaty, which, together with The Voice, is also a feature of the Uluru Statement from the Heart. The government is committed to the Uluru Statement in full, but it is anxious to keep the referendum debate strictly on The Voice, dodging questions about treaty where it can. Today in our podcast, we bring you two more Voices on The Voice. Thomas Mayo is a trade unionist from Darwin who's one of the leaders of the Yes campaign. He and journalist Kerry O'Brien have written a book titled The Voice to Parliament Handbook, which has become a bestseller. Our voice on the no side today is Darren Hinch, who for decades was a prominent broadcaster. Darren Hinch served as a senator from Victoria between 2016 and 2019 and representatives from his Justice Party, now wound up, were for a time in the Victorian State Parliament. We start with Thomas Mayo. Thomas Mayo, you've been travelling in Queensland. You've just got back to Darwin. This is one of the hard states for the Yes campaign. Where have you been and what's been the reception? Yeah, so over about a week, I went from uh, Maroochydore and Caloundra uh, to a whole lot of towns, including Sherberg, an Aboriginal community, and uh, and Eidsvold, up to uh, Mackay. Uh, and the experience was great, you know, really positive, uh, full crowds at each of the forums, uh, you know, some great questions and signing up a whole lot more volunteers in those towns. Did you get any... Uh feel for the other side, for how people are feeling who are doubtful about the uh, vote? Yeah, so attending the forums were people from many different backgrounds. There were Indigenous people from their local communities. Uh, There were people that were fully supportive. And there was also a lot of people that were unsure. So people that were leaning either yes or no that came along to to learn more. Um, We also had some people that were um, set in, you know, a position of of saying no. But, you know, that was a great opportunity uh, to to have the discussion. Um, They, you know, were able to listen to our history behind this and the the good sense of it and what the actual proposition is and what will be changed in the constitution. Uh, They were able to raise their concerns and reasons and they were respectfully listened to. Um, but uh, I think, uh, you know, the, the result was that anybody that wasn't already set in their ways uh, were, you know, that weren't entrenched in a no position politically um, came up to me later and said, we've decided to vote yes now. And I just I think it shows the, the strength of the yes case. The truth of it um, really comes through and, uh, and moves people to uh, accept what we're proposing at this referendum. Now, these were broad community meetings, right? And what sort of people were turning up? Were they mostly young audiences or were they 
broader range of ages? Well, interestingly, it was, uh, I think, mostly between 40 and, you know, and older, that sort of uh, age range. Um, I think young people, you know, from our research in the campaign generally already support this. They see it as a no-brainer. They've got a different education um, about the truth of our history and the reality of, of the issues uh, that Indigenous communities face. Um, and so I think that's a positive thing that it was an older demographic. Um, you know, they uh, tend to be less supportive. You know, those are the people that we really want to get out there and share with the, you know, others of, of their age group, you know, just, just how important this is. Also, um, I think uh, the fear factor, um, you know, people that are concerned that they're going to lose their backyard or their farms, uh, you know, this sort of thing. It was a great opportunity to debunk that myth, you know, to communicate with them and show them the actual words that this is only an advisory body. So the parliament still decides all legislation and policies and funding. Um, the voice has no say other than to try and shape the policies and laws that parliament makes. And to also remind them that in, in their lifetimes, especially that older demographic, they would have seen this sort of fear mongering before uh, when indigenous people won some land rights in the 70s, you know, with the native title in the 90s. You know, we've seen these uh, fear mongering tactics before and none of that has come to pass and it's only made us stronger as a nation. So I think that saw a lot of, um, you know, light bulb moments for people that were listening. Speaking specifically about the Indigenous community, we often hear, especially from the Prime Minister, that the voice has more than 80% support uh, among Indigenous people. Can you tell us what that's based on? I know there have been a couple of surveys, but it seems a relatively uh, small samples. Do you think that 80% is right? Well, firstly... The process that led to the making of the Uluru Statement was unique. It was national. It had, uh, you know, uh, an unprecedented amount of resources, which is required to bring people together, especially from remote communities, uh, people that, you know, don't have generational wealth, um, long distances to travel, to come together and consider uh, the lessons from the past, um, to have debate and discussion in a proper and informed way with interpreters. So it was a really extensive uh, and important process that led to the Uluru Statement, which reached a consensus that uh, we seek a constitutionally enshrined voice. And I think with that, if there was uh, 10 times as many resources and uh, 10 times as many Indigenous people involved, if you really listen to Indigenous people in our communities, I think that we would have come up with the same outcome. We just want to be heard. You know, we're sick of politicians flying in and flying out and doing something different to what we advise, waiting for them to come to our communities. You know, we'd rather take our, our solutions to the parliament itself and to the government uh, in a more proactive way. But the polling in itself backs that up. And the sample size of that polling is a, a larger sample size than, you know, the, the normal political polling. Uh, when you're thinking about 800 uh, as a sample, 800 Indigenous people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across a population of only around 800,000. It's a considerable sample. And there's multiple polls um, and they're all indicating over 80%. And I think it'll be probably closer to 90% or more now because those polls were earlier in the year and there's been a lot of work done in Indigenous communities. And my experience is same as the broader Australian population. When they have the truth before them and the 
the common sense to this and the history of it, they tend to vote yes. Noel Pearson has come increasingly to the fore in the public campaigning in recent weeks. Is he effectively the leader of the Yes campaign now? And would you like to see the government leaders step back somewhat from it? I think uh, Noel is an important leader, um, so much experience, you know, such a great orator, um, a deep thinker and a person that has always looked for the best path forward without being stuck in an ideology as as people can tend to be sometimes. And so he's he's extremely important and it's great to see him out there doing more. Indigenous leadership across this country is so important because people do look to us. They look to people like Noel, Arnie Pat Anderson, Rachel Perkins, you know, um, to understand that they're voting with us. Um, people that are unknown as well are, are vital in this campaign. Speaking from Gurindji country or from Baranga or from Gama um, soon, um, it's, it's such an important thing. I, I do want to see politicians that support this getting out there and being active because, you know, they are elected representatives. Um, they have constituencies that they can speak to. And, uh, and especially um, because there are supporters in politics that are from across the political spectrum. So not just Labor, um, there's Liberals for Yes, people like uh, Bridget Archer, uh, Julian Lisa. I think, uh, I think all people that support this um, need to get on the ground and do as much work as they can, whether they're well known or whether they're just, you know, um, uh, ordinary Australians doing their best for this country. There's been some questioning in Parliament this week about treaty, and I think that uh, we all know that after a successful referendum, the issue of treaty would be very much to the fore, and yet the government, the Prime Minister in particular, don't want to talk about treaty. But why not discuss this, given that that's going to be uh, something to be discussed in the future? Well, the reality is that treaties are already well underway. Uh, in Victoria, the treaty process has been going on for more than a decade now uh, with a commitment from the state government. Uh, we've seen Queensland recently with bipartisan support put important funding towards the treaty process. Uh, the Northern Territory has uh, begun and Tasmania, um, a Liberal state, has uh, entered into a treaty process. So, you know, I, I think that uh, it's not a matter of if we should move towards treaty. It's a matter of it already being underway, and it's a matter of actually our country catching up with the rest of the world, other like nations, so nations similar to Australia, um, that already have treaties. So the focus is on the voice. Um, this is a difficult task. It's a, a, a broad country, you know, a great country, uh, great distances, great uh, distances between us as well across this vast land, and uh, that's, that's the focus right now is to enshrine this voice. But do you think that it would be better to incorporate a discussion of treaties so that people are not uh, so worried about it? Uh, look, uh, I, think, um, I think that treaty is, is, as I said, it's already part of the discussion in, in states and territories. Um, I, I think that we should be focusing on the 92 words that will go into the Constitution when people vote yes. And what that means, simply recognition and uh, a right for Indigenous people to be heard on matters that affect them. You've become something of a, a big target in this campaign over statements you've made in the past about reparations and the like. 
uh, you were defended recently uh, strongly by Julian Lisa, which suggests that uh, referendums can make for interesting bedfellows. But how much of a problem has it been that some of your past statements have been resurrected? And have you, in fact, moved positions or just put those things in the back pocket? Yeah, certainly those things were said. They were, um, you know, of a time when there was a lot of debate and discussion about if there should be a referendum and what it could achieve. Um, I don't believe that The Voice is going to talk about those things. It's going to concentrate on what the priorities are in our communities, and that's health, education, employment, housing, especially, um, you know, across the, the whole country, housing is still an issue. Um, you know, uh, multiple families sharing one house, um, you know, and, and that leads to the health problems and, and, and all those social issues. I was in Yule River recently, uh, about three weeks ago, the Yule River Bush meeting in the Pilbara. And, uh, and you know, on the butcher's paper and in the, in the meeting, uh, I observed what the priorities are. And in red text on that butcher's paper were those things that I mentioned, health, education, employment. Those are the priorities for our communities because that's what matter to the coming generations, to our kids today, um, giving them a better life. And, uh, and that's what it's going to be about. You've come from organising union campaigning. How different is this sort of campaign from that more uh, limited type of uh, activism? Well, I think there's there's actually a, a lot in common in that, you know, you are trying to um, unite people. And this referendum is about unity. Uh, it's about uniting on a common cause, uh, which is to heal um, from our colonial past. Um, it's to empower people that, uh, you know, are, are suffering and to create fairness. Um, I think there's a lot that's similar. And, uh, you know, my union background has helped in my ability to advocate, but mostly I think what motivates me is understanding that this is the right thing to do. That in the absence of a structure for Indigenous people to be genuinely heard um, across over a hundred different electorates um, in this country, in the absence of being able to choose representation that can speak coherently on our behalf in a way that is both transparent and, and accountable to who is being represented, and in an ignorance um, in our constitution, sort of an exclusion of Indigenous people, um, you know, these are all ways to unite the country and to, as, as indicated by the Solicitor General, uh, to strengthen our democracy. Thomas Mayo, thank you very much for joining the podcast today. Thank you, Michelle. Darren Hinch, you've said the voice should not be supported because it is, and I quote, dangerous, country-splitting, precedent-setting, even racist, and not needed, unquote. Let me ask you first, what is your argument that the voice is dangerous? Well, because I think it will, will split the community and it will be already showing that. Look, let me say from, from the get-go here, I wish they could split the referendum into two bits. And if they could say, give genuine, fruitful recognition to Indigenous Australians and our history in the Constitution, I would vote yes for that in two seconds' time. And I think most of Australians would as well. It's the second half of having the voice to Parliament that worries me because, like I say, they need the voice. They've already got 
11 members of parliament of indigenous extraction. You know, and if, if in fact they are spending on these umpteen Aboriginal welfare and, uh, and, and medical and other bodies, um, if they are spending $30 billion, there should not be one Aboriginal kid with glaucoma or drinking dirty water in the whole country. Now, I've I, been around long enough. I was here when ATSIC was going and people like Jeff Clark were rotting it. And in the end, it was so corrupt, it had to be shut down. We've got uh, Linda Burney and the Prime Minister both saying quite publicly that the reason we need the voice, because what's happening at the moment isn't working. Well, let the bloody government make it work. Now, just to take up your point about the Indigenous members of Parliament, the counter case to this is that they represent their general communities, not just Indigenous people, and that a more specialised body uh, with members concentrating on Indigenous issues would therefore be helpful. But but surely, I mean, I, I was in the Parliament and I represented Victoria, but I also could represent special interests like childcare, child welfare. You know, I, I know much is made that's saying, oh, you've got so many, what, a couple of thousand lobbyists who have access to parliament. Well, form a lobby group then. Doesn't fuss me. Start your own party. That's what I did. I mean, I don't think we need this. I think that constitutionally it is wrong to have a, a small percentage of Australians having a specialised fast track to, to, to parliament and access to politicians. Just on the point of starting your own party, your own experience was that uh, while you got things done for a time, in the end, you had to shut down that party and people would say, well, that's the same with uh, Indigenous bodies, that they last a while and then for one reason or another they're shut down. I'm not complaining here. The tribe has spoken. My party, I got voted out of federal parliament and I had three members of state parliament and two of them, they all got voted out. One went rogue. And in the end, we ran out of money and ran out of steam. But I still think that if people have, have a passion, as they would, and understandably, for Indigenous affairs, they should start their own party. And I, I think it's just, I think it's a bad, a bad precedent to set. You support constitutional recognition. If there was a legislative voice rather than a constitutionally enshrined one, would you support that? No, I'd vote, vote against that as well. I don't believe, but but they'll be entitled to do it. If a government of the day could bring it in, then then it is there. That's the way it works. Uh, but a future government might think differently and throw it out. I say why I wouldn't support it is because, again, I'm a minority. I, mean, I don't know how many percentage of um, Greek Australians there are and migrant Australians, of which I am one. Um, I, I just I just don't like the way they're doing it. I know they quote the Waitangi treaty which they have across the ditch in New Zealand um, but there as I understand it m- mostly the Waitangi treaty back in the late 1800s was designed to stop warfare and the British troops would defend New Zealand and defend the Maoris if anybody came from abroad now I was in New Zealand only last year and they are changing a lot of names to Maori names I mean and I, I supported them changing the name of Mount Egmont in my hometown to Taranaki uh, I support changing Ayers Rock to Uluru. And yet I I don't support people being banned from climbing Uluru because I did it uh, when it was still legal and it was one of the most magnificent things that happened in my life. And afterwards, when we, when we descended, we walked around the whole of Ayers Rock, as it was then, and went into a cave with an Aboriginal elder 
who enthralled us with with indigenous stories. And I think that's the way to get respect and get get involvement. Now, the Uluru Statement from the Heart involves moving to a treaty as well as the voice. Victoria is on that road. What do you think about a treaty? Is it an important part of the reconciliation process or do you see that as a problem as well? Oh, I see it as a problem. The PM is saying that some days he, he says it doesn't lead to it, won't lead to a treaty, but most people are saying that, uh, that first comes the voice, then comes the truth, then the treaty. Uh, I don't think it is. I don't think it's needed, to be honest. Look, I think, I think they just need to spend the money they are spending now more adequately. I recall talking when I was in radio, talking to a, a WA elder, and I said, "What happens to all the money?" And he said, "Look, he said it starts out as a gusher from Canberra, but by the time it reaches us in the outback of WA, it's down to a trickle. We'll have to find a way to make sure that the volume of that dollar water." is getting to where it's needed, getting to to the kids, getting the kids to school, getting them educated. Well, you've been in the federal parliament. How do you think the parliament can make sure that that money is spent more effectively? Or is it just a matter for government? Or who else can help in this? Well, I tell you, parliamentary estimates committees, Senate estimates committees, hearings are very important. But it starts with the government. And uh, there obviously is wastage because you're not seeing those billions of dollars. And that's $30 billion a year, the figures I've been seeing. It's not doing its job. And it should start with the government and state governments too, uh, with their organisations. It, it should be happening and should have been happening years ago. Under the, under the Liberal government as well, it was neglected. We're seeing, of course, the referendum campaign ramping up now very considerably, although we still don't have a date for the vote. How effective do you think the no campaign is? And do you intend yourself to do any campaigning in the coming weeks? Uh, No, I I don't. I'm making my views very well known. Uh, I'm uncomfortable being on the same side of an argument as as Pauline Hanson and Peter Dutton. I I came out, that that article I published... uh, in the Big Smoke magazine for Australia Day, that was I made those decisions long before I even knew what uh, other people would be in the in the no camp. I don't like misrepresentation by either the no people or the yes people. Either way, I'm a bit scared by the, the government's new plan about misinformation. I mean, legislating against misinformation or having the power to uh, control information or what they consider to be misinformation and disinformation. That scares me a bit. That's separate from the referendum yes, issue. It is. You're yes, talking it is. about legislation to deal with but, big but, tech. But, but, Michelle, it does tie into that because if, say, the government believes that the, the No campaign is putting out wrongful material, they can block it during the campaign. So, in general, what do you think about the No campaign apart from your discomfort with your allies? Well, I, I think, um, okay, um, you know, go with Hinch's hunch. I think the the no campaign is going to win and it doesn't make me a racist it doesn't make anybody else a racist and i think by calling this chicken little and all this sort of stuff it doesn't help the yes cause at all and i think that uh, i don't think linda burney has done done a great job in selling this and uh and some of albo's stuff's been a bit bit askew as well look as my mother used to say and i didn't often take her advice when in doubt don't so when in doubt vote no and uh And I think that's what a lot of people will be doing by the end of the year.
Victoria is generally a, a progressive state. What sort of feeling are you getting there? You, you obviously live in Melbourne. Look, I, I think, unfortunately for the Yes campaign, stuff is happening that is not connected, but people do connect it. The guys who demanded $2.5 million to let people plant trees in WA, that doesn't go down well. The um, campaign to change the name of Brisbane to Mianjin doesn't go down well. I mean, I know, as I said, in New Zealand, they're changing a lot of names to Maori names, and uh, a lot of New Zealanders aren't liking it. I mean, maybe maybe if, if they, they do eventually change the name of New Zealand to Aotearoa, I, I, I don't know. Um, uh, but I, I think in the, in the polls, there'll be a lot of people who are scared to say they're voting no because they get accused of being a racist. So I think when it comes down as a secret ballot, you'll find the, the no vote is probably bigger than, than even the polls are reflecting now. Even in Victoria? Yes, even in Victoria. Well, Linda Thorpe's not, Linda Thorpe's not helping down here, is she? But, I mean, she's talking about a sovereign state, not about just a treaty and not just about uh, recognising a voice to Parliament, and she's voting against the voice because she thinks Indigenous people should have their own sovereign state. Before we finish up, uh, Darren Hinch, uh, you left the uh, Senate when you weren't re-elected in 2019. I just wonder what your take is on the uh, current Senate compared to when you were there. Well, I'm biased because I'm not there. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not overly impressed with the crossbench as, as it stands in the Senate at the moment. Why not? I think there's a great there's a great job that you do need a crossbench and it should be there. A bit puzzled at the moment watching the Libs and the Nats and the Greens all campaigning against the government on their housing scheme. I, I, I just shake my head at that. I, if I was still in the Senate, I'd be backing Albo to the hilt on that one. Darren Hinch, thanks very much for talking with us today. That's all for the Conversations Politics podcast. Thank you to my producer, Mikey Burnett. We'll be back with you again soon, but goodbye for now. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevere. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.